The assured heart is the one that has confidence, the substance of which is the same as that confidence we'll enjoy when Jesus appears, when we stand before him face to face, when our sins are finally removed. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to Part 7, Pastor Paul's closing of What Does It Mean to Be Found in Christ? Pastor's text for today is 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Did you ever walk into a test thinking you were going to bomb it and actually ended up doing pretty well? Or how about the opposite, thinking you were going to ace it and it smacked you down? We can really fool ourselves, can't we? A lot of times, what we perceive is completely removed from reality. Athletes are famous for doing this. When they meet an inferior team, they tend to look beyond that one onto the one where they'll really need everything to win. We can really fool ourselves, can't we? And this happens with our spiritual life and our relationship with God. In his sermon on what does it mean to be found in Christ, Pastor Paul today gives reasons for assurance that God will accept you on the day you stand before him. And it's based on something far more reliable than being supremely confident over a test result. Here's part seven. Pastor Paul begins by reading verse 21 of 1 John chapter three. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. Now John is not here drawing a dividing line in the congregation. John is not saying there are those that, that have the, the, the conscience that is stricken and then there are those that, that don't have the condemning heart, but rather John is outlining a process. Verse 21 could equally be translated, beloved, when our heart no longer condemns us. John's assumption is that we are going to heed the roadmap. We're going to be diligent to do what he says all the way through 1 John, which is to set our mind upon Christ and love those around us. And in so doing, there will be a process over time. And it may not be an easy path for you, And it may take some time, but God is faithful. There will be a process whereby he brings our heart to a position where it no longer condemns us. And when that happens, he says, we have confidence before God. That is the state of assurance, to have confidence before God. And the word confidence is is worthy of our attention. There is only one time prior to this portion in 1 John where he's used that word at the end of chapter 2 with reference to the return of Christ. Confidence when he comes back, he'll go on to use the same word later in chapter 4, again with the judgment day in view. It seems to be a word that John reserves for that, that day when Christ returns, and yet here he says, we may have confidence before God. The assured heart is the one that has confidence, the substance of which is the same as that confidence we'll enjoy when Jesus appears, when we stand before him face to face, when our sins are finally removed. Never will our assurance be greater than when we stand before him and he has perfected us. In that day, when you see him, you will know that you are his and he is yours. And John says, we may have that kind of confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now, John is is simply here showing us one of the many blessings of assurance. There are many things he could have spoken about. He says, 
prayer, a readiness towards prayer and communion, is an indication of an assured heart. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. There are many blessings that John could have outlined that result from assurance. Why does he go to prayer? I think it's because the original audience had been subject to some kind of false teaching, a false teaching that had had wrecked their own sense of assurance. And it seems like part of that false teaching was to, to tell the believers, you don't have ready access to God. So John is clear to show that the Christian does, and the assured heart runs into that communion. Now, we do have to be very careful not to form a theology of prayer based on one verse taken out of context. What does it mean when First John says, whatever we ask, we receive from him? Remember, John is writing to Christians, and specifically in, in accordance with the process that he has outlined, here he has in view the assured Christian, and the assured Christian is the one that's looking at Christ and obeying God's commands. As it says at the end of verse 22, the assured Christian keeps his commandments, and thus the assured Christian prays prayers that are in line with God's will. The assured Christian is the one that runs into prayer with God, seeks it out regularly, and that which he asks is in accordance with the will of God. So John is happy to write, God will give you the request of your prayers. Just one of the many blessings of the heart that has found rest before the Lord. Now, it's at this point in my sermon preparation during the week that I had written in my notebook, illustration needed, and then a blank page. So the two tyrannies of the preacher are the tyranny of Sunday morning, in a kind of paradoxical way. We look forward to gathering with the saints, and yet at the same time, the clock is ticking and we need something to say. And then for me, at least, the tyranny of the illustration. Well, one thing we seem to do frequently in our home is to rearrange furniture. I don't know why we do it, but every so often, we rearrange the furniture, and this week was one of those weeks. And something we did was we took a set of drawers out of a small closet that we have and we put my desk in there in order to create something of a, a small office space. A friend told me I'm now to refer to it as the office. And I was in the office searching for an illustration and Patrick, our, our youngest, one and a half, toddles in. The other kids know dad's doing sermon prep, uh, leave him be, not so with Patrick. So he comes in, he's not forming sentences now, but if he was, I'm pretty sure he would have said something like, Dad, we're not doing sermon prep right now. We're going to unpack your drawers of the desk and we're going to put the contents on the floor, which is what we did for the next 20 minutes. And as I looked at that blank page and then I saw just how happy Patrick was to be there with me in the office, I considered what gave him such confidence to come in. It was not a period of self-examination, not by any means. It was not an extended period of reflection upon previous experiences and influences. He really doesn't have that many. Ultimately, I reasoned, it is because of his knowledge of belonging to this family, his knowledge of me as his father and him as my son, and that is exactly how assurance works. We should look far less to our feelings, 
to our previous experiences and influences. And we should strive all the more to understand who we are in Christ, who our Savior is, who God the Father is. As we give our attention to the gospel and we search out the riches of the gospel all the more, and then we are diligent to apply our understanding in the local church, deflecting all attention away from ourselves, but so as to give and express love to other Christians, we are following the roadmap that John gives us, and our hearts will be moved to a position where we abound in confidence before God, where we flourish as a Christian, where we are tasting something of heaven on earth now. That is the end to which John exhorts us. And he's not done. He moves on and and we progress now to verses 23 and 24. He essentially gives us the roadmap again as we ask the question of how may I taste heaven on earth? The answer is first through an assured heart. And John expands upon that second point by believing in the name of his son. So John carries on in verse 23 that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, if you're paying attention, you can see that there is a sense in which John is repeating himself here. In verse 19, he said, by this, and I argue that what John is doing is bringing into view again the responsibility of loving Christians and fixing our eyes on Christ. In verse 23, he, he tells us that again. In an age where we prioritize efficiency over quality, I would just encourage you to think carefully about assigning this as mere repetition. You'll often hear people say, First John is, is very repetitive. We need to be careful when we say that. There is a sense in which John returns to the same themes over and over again, but when we really come to terms with the text, what we see is that John never comes at the same theme from the same angle. It's a theologically nuanced book. He's coming at the same themes from a multitude of angles, and that's what makes it such a rich book. Yes, there's a sense of repetition here, but I could argue John is not repeating himself at all. To repeat himself would be to say, by this. He doesn't say by this. And so the question becomes, why does John give the formula, the the two pillars of assurance, why does he give it in such long form here, having previously inferred it by simply saying, by this? And I believe the answer is because the second time round, rather than skip over it, which would be our tendency... As soon as we acknowledge it's the same formula, rather John wants us to spend yet more time on it. The second time around, to honor not only the content but the form of the text, we have to understand that John is saying, dwell a pause here and consider the means by which you might have a confident heart before God. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. And so... What does it mean to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? It probably means a lot more than you would think. Whenever the Bible invokes a name, it has normally in view the whole of that person, the whole life, all that there is to know about that person. A wonderful example back in number six, Aaron prays that the presence of God would rest upon Israel, that his name would be upon them. The presence of God is synonymous with his name. In the same way, when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are invoking all 
of his person, his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And that name, that invocation of his name is the means by which our prayers are acceptable before God. When John says your, your responsibility is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, he is exhorting you to consider afresh the whole Christ to give your hearts and your minds to a consideration of the whole Christ. Consider Christ in all of his glory. Give your mind to understand all that the scriptures give us about Jesus Christ, that it is by the name of Christ that we have the gospel, that we have our salvation, that the wrath of God may rightly pour itself out in all of its fullness about on any square inch of this planet. The wrath of God may, may rightly manifest itself in all of its fullness upon any person on this planet save one, the only begotten Son. Consider the fact that the one place where the wrath of God was poured out in all of its fullness was exactly there. That the one place it ought not to have gone is the very place where it went. The cross of Jesus Christ. And the implication of that is that you who had no right to stand before the Father, who had no right to appear before a holy God, now you have just as much right to be there as the Son. Now this morning you stand before the Father with just as much right to be there as his beloved son. Consider the fact that God accepts you, not begrudgingly, but his justification of you is wrapped up in love, that God loves you, that he has shown his love for you on the cross, that he loves you, that the fullness of God's love is now resting upon you and you cannot get away from it. Consider the fact that God loves you when you dishonor him. We are so prone to think that we serve a God who is begrudging in his affections for us, begrudging in his acceptance of us. He delights in you day after day after day. He rejoices in you. His love is set upon you. Consider the fact that Jesus is sat beside him interceding on your behalf. You don't know what all of your needs are. We are so needy we can't perceive the full extent of our needs. And yet Jesus is sat interceding for you this very hour. And the Father is pleased to accept his intercession on your behalf. When you sin... Jesus brings a petition that is accepted every single time. It is not because of anything you have done. Indeed, it is in spite of that which you have done. It is because of what Christ has done. That the Father accepts you and he loves you. And more than that, he has brought you into his family. And he says, now my son and my daughter... By virtue of the gospel, by virtue of the name of Jesus Christ, you are now a child of God. And though you can't see it, he's moving mountains every single day in order to coordinate the perfect plan of salvation for you that will deliver you unto glory where you will be with him forever, rejoicing, seeing and acknowledging the full extent of his love. 
Consider the name of Jesus. We are so prone to set our mind on anything but the name of Christ. We have a a remarkable tendency to allow our thoughts to go anywhere but the life and work of the Savior. And our thoughts can linger so long on other things. And John says, for an assured heart, you have to ensure that your, your heart, the resting place of your heart, is the person of Jesus. The thought that characterizes you has to be that of the Savior. And don't miss, he goes on, there is a practical outworking of those thoughts that it is above all other things, to love the Christians around you, to lay down your life in love as the Savior has done. He is your, the object of your faith and the example of your faith. You lay down your, your life in order to love the believers around you. That is the pathway towards the, the confident heart, the resting heart. And see how John then goes on to give a second blessing that springs out from the wells of assurance. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Again, there are many places John could have gone to to show us the blessings of assurance. He goes here to abiding. In some senses, I would say this is an augmentation of the blessing of of the readiness of prayer, the communion that we enjoy. Abiding is, is a Johannine concept. We find it in John's writings only. He likes to speak when he refers to our communion with God in in terms of abiding. What does it mean to abide? The Apostle Paul speaks about union with Christ. John speaks about abiding with Christ. The Puritans used to say that if our union with Christ is the theological foundation of our Christian life, then our abiding with Christ is its experiential reality. It speaks in some senses of, a, of an intangible, unquantifiable communion that we can have with the Godhead. It is a very Trinitarian doctrine. John speaks about our abiding with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see here, he brings the Spirit into view. Perhaps a, another illustration would help. One of the privileges that a minister of the gospel has is from time to time to marry a couple. And often it will be the case that within the wedding service, the minister is stood just a few feet, if that, from the bride and groom. And then as part of the service, we'll sing a hymn. And at that point, the the dynamic is such that you're essentially singing directly at their face and they're singing straight back at you. And if anyone's out of tune, it, it becomes quite painful. You quickly hear it. And the first few weddings I did, I, I found it quite awkward And then I just learned to love that portion of the service because there is a sense in which you are ministering to one another the truth through song. So I get to sing truth to the bride and groom just before they become husband and wife. They get to sing truth to me and there is a ministering that's going on. To abide is to avail yourself of the means of grace that God has given us, predominantly the word, prayer, and fellowship, to avail yourself of those means of grace so that you locate yourself in a position where 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are ministering to you. They are ministering to you day after day, carrying you along in some kind of blessed communion. And John says the Christians that that enjoy the fullest sense of this are those that have an assured heart, those that have confidence before God. And we have the privilege of abiding until Jesus returns. And when he returns, we stand before him. We see him with the utmost clarity. Our love for the saints is perfected. And never will our assurance be greater than that day. That day when we taste heaven in heaven. John says there is a sense in which we can taste heaven on earth. Whatever have been your experiences, however the Lord has sovereignly worked in your life to bring you to a point of saving faith, whatever are the influences that continue on in your heart, John is clear. God is faithful and he's given a roadmap. Take in Christ and love one another. And though the path may not be easy and though it may take time, God will move us to a point where our hearts find rest before him, where we have confidence, enjoying the the manifold benefits of assurance, a readiness in prayer, abiding with the Godhead, tasting something of paradise. May we be responsible to follow this roadmap. Pray with me as we close. Our Father, we do love you and we're so thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the salvation that we enjoy by grace. We thank you that you've made it possible to have confidence regarding our salvation, that it is possible to say with confidence, I belong to Christ. I am his, he is mine. And yet we understand at the same time, it is such a complex issue There are so many things going on in our heart that may rob us of our assurance. And so I pray that we would be diligent to give our attention to Scripture, to see how you have outlined a path by which we can walk, fixing our eyes on Christ, pondering his name and all that that means, refreshing our hearts daily to the truth of the gospel and setting our faith to work in the local church by loving other Christians. Father, give us a spirit of diligence that we would be paying attention to these things. And we trust over time you will move us to that position where our hearts are bound, where our hearts find rest and confidence before you, where we will flourish as Christians. We will enjoy heaven on earth. We need you. We ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. When was the last time you thought of coming face to face with God? Like on the day you die and seeing him in heaven as your judge. Are you sure, I mean absolutely sure, that you can meet him on judgment day with full confidence of acceptance? Upon what are you basing this? The same hope for that test you bombed? I'm sure you hear this all the time that all religions lead to God. Only Christianity tells you that you can know you're going to heaven, and it's not even dependent on you. Someone else paved the path. That's why you can be confident when you meet God face to face. Whose grip do you want to trust, yours or God's? 
If you want to learn more about being assured of acceptance into heaven because of Jesus, come to TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org, select Broadcasts, leading you to a treasury of Bible teaching, including this series. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Sunday's coming, and if you don't have a home church, you're always invited to join us for worship at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come Monday, we're into a new series called Living in the Light of the Mountain. Hope you can join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.